math. Ugh. It's an evil four-letter word to a lot of our students. We know. We didn't love math in school either, and we wished we knew what we know now when we were students. There are some really simple strategies that make math so much easier. We're excited to share this episode with you. You've requested it, and here it is. Welcome to episode 11 and the first episode in our math series called Math is a Four-Letter Word. Rachel is going to give us a ton of great ideas in this episode, and we've gone ahead and created a freebie for you, which you can access on our website by signing up for our email list. The freebie associated with this episode is called Rachel's Math Rules, and be sure to go to www.learnsmarterpodcast.com to get your copy. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to Episode 11, Math is a Four-Letter Word. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. In this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about math, and we're going to have the math extraordinaire, Rachel, <laughs> teaching us a bunch of strategies that she uses. And I, let me just tell you, I've learned a lot about some of the strategies from her. And so I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. And let's all learn smarter and learn from her genius. Steph, you flatter me. <laughs> You're so good at math. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The first thing that I really want to talk about is math mindset. Um, I deal with this first because it impacts everything. I firmly believe that all students are able to be successful at math because it's really just about putting together a puzzle. And truly, math is the least subjective of all the academic domains. You either get it correct or you get it incorrect. And your mindset and the mindset that you have as a math student impacts you tremendously. So if your student is walking around with a mindset of, I hate math or I'm bad at math, which I hear a lot, automatically they're setting themselves up for a really difficult time. I would much prefer students do one of our mindset tricks, which is, I'm not great at math yet. Because it makes it hopeful and it makes it optimistic and it doesn't make it as totally negative as I hate math. And a lot of you may be listening to this, Smarties, and think to yourself, but I actually hated math and I was actually terrible at math. <laughs> no, I don't believe that's true. I just believe you weren't taught in a way that allowed for meaningful understanding for you, for your type of learner, and which leads me into a conversation that I often have with parents of students who are struggling with math, or really I have this conversation with students, which is, let's talk about math teachers for a second. And I'm really going to talk about math teachers grades 6 through 12, or really middle school through high school. And I want to preface this by saying I'm not interested in offending anybody. That's really not my goal. I'm trying to explain to students where math teachers are coming from, which is a very different perspective than a teacher in another subject. Math teachers who are teaching middle school and high school math typically have a bachelor's degree in math or a master's degree in math. They do not necessarily have a background for best practices and teaching and communication and learning. What I mean by that is elementary age teachers are actually trained in how to educate. 
It's not the same for middle school and high school where we look for expertise in a subject area over expertise in teaching. And keep in mind, this is a general rule. Yes. There are definitely some teachers that do have experience with this, but for the most part, we find that they do not. And I want you to think for a second about the type of student who would pursue a degree in math. I know that I was drawn to subjects that were based off my interest level, but also dependent on how good I was at them. If I was good at a subject, I was much more likely to continue pursuing that, which was true for me in high school and in college and for our master's degree as well. But for a person who is pursuing a higher level degree in math, It likely came very easy to them as a student. Math was likely very intuitive for them. And therefore, breaking down each concept into understandable steps isn't intuitive because they never had to really do it. Again, this is a generalization, but I hear so frequently about frustrations with teachers in math that I kind of wanted to give this little speech about it because it, it provides a wider lens of understanding. And it also can help you understand how to best connect with that teacher because we're a big advocate for connecting and advocating for your student when they're struggling in a subject area. We have some legitimate frustrations when it comes to math and how students are graded. One is kids getting points off for not circling an answer. I believe that as long as it is clear and obvious where the answer is on the page, and this is something I'm going to dig into because it's usually not obvious, in which case they would need to circle it to make it clear. But as long as it is, we believe that a student should get credit. Also, we don't think math should ever be done on a Scantron. It's not a multiple choice subject. It's a, I got this answer correct, or I got this answer incorrect subject. And it should really be about showing all the steps that you went through in order to answer correctly and getting credit for showing your work and how you were thinking. Math to me is the greatest subject because there's no subjectivity. It shouldn't matter whether the teacher likes you. It shouldn't matter whether or not you like the teacher. And your thinking process should and usually is rewarded. Math is very black or white. And this leads me into my conversation of the three C's of math. And this is something that I made up. I haven't read this anywhere, but this is something that I talk to a lot of students about. The three C's of math are the three most common mistakes students make when it comes to math. The first C is a lack of thorough understanding of the concept being taught. An example of a concept being taught, I'm just going to go to algebra, when you're talking about a system of equations, a way that a student doesn't understand the concept of a system of equations is that they have no understanding that what they're actually doing when solving a system of equations is finding the points where the two lines intersect. That's the concept. The second C is computation. And if I'm sticking with the same concept, which is a system of equations and you're looking for where the two lines intersect, not understanding the computation would be not understanding how to use substitution, how to use elimination, or how to use graphing to solve the problem. Another area, which is the third mistake students make, is caution. 
And I had previously named this carelessness, but I don't like the connotation of that. So I changed it to caution. And what I mean by students not being cautious is that they're not taking the time to show all their work. They're doing three or four steps in once. So rather than rewriting the problem multiple times and only doing one thing every time they rewrite the problem, they're doing three things at once. And this is really, really common with students who are good at math. This is really, really common for students who have ADHD. Students who are good at mental math. And I really struggle with students who are good at mental math because, first of all, I am not. I do need to show all my work. And that's my coping strategy in math is showing all my work. But when you are relying on mental math, and this is just something to be aware of, because I think there's some sort of bias towards mental math right now. When you are good at mental math, you're very likely to make a mistake. What's mental math? Mental math is doing the math in your brain. So not actually when you have two plus two, we automatically know it's four, but that's in our brain. We know that fact and we're not sitting there and counting out fingers to get here's two fingers, here's two more fingers. When you have larger numbers, when you have multiple steps at once, you will make a mistake. And stuff. this goes back to when we talk about calendaring and how everything needs to be on the page so that you reduce the chance of making a mistake and everything should be on your calendar. Go back to episode two to listen to that. The same is true for math. Somebody who does not know you should be able to sit down and look at how you're doing the math problem, be able to understand your thinking and what you did in each step so that you can get rewarded for what you were thinking and what you did in each step. Lots of students don't give teachers this opportunity and they just will write down an answer. And I'm going to talk about some of the things that we can insist that our students do or teach them to do. I will tell you, healthy math habits have a long-term impact on students with different learning profiles. What I mean by healthy math habits are these simple solutions and strategies that I'm about to share that I kind of call my rules of math. Um, It takes a little coaching up. It takes somebody sitting next to a student and correcting them and reminding them of the rules, but eventually it becomes intuitive and it becomes super helpful. The first is math should not be a solitary sport. You can really know if your student is understanding a math concept to you when they explain it to you out loud in their own words. Explaining out loud in your own words solidifies understanding and also allows you to see as either the parent or the teacher or whoever is helping the student in math, whether or not they really get it. Now, if you have something as complicated as a system of equations, which I bet there are people listening to this who do not remember that for math at all, but if you have something rather complicated that has multiple steps, don't wait until the end of all the steps to have your student explain it back to you. They need to explain it back to you after every single step. So what I'll often say is, can you explain this to me in your own words? Don't ask, do you understand? Because they will say yes. When you're checking for understanding, have them explain it back to you in their own words. Some students need to take this a step further and write out what they did for each step so they can go back and look over what they did and teach themselves 
for the next problem. Because oftentimes it's very formulaic what you do to solve a certain type of concept. And if you can automate that for kids, so you have them generate their own teaching so that they can go back and teach themselves, they're much more likely to do it. If you have a child that hates writing and does not want to do a side-by-side of here's the math and then on the right on the page, this is what I did in language, that's fine. You can have them video themselves explaining a concept, showing the concept on the page. They don't even have to be a part of the video and then they can rewatch it at a later date. That way they're generating their own lessons for themselves to review at a later time. Something else that's really important is that you want to teach resourcefulness with math. This is really, really important because students give up so quickly. We want to show them how the book works. If it's a good math book, it'll have step-by-step instructions of all the problems that they're being asked to do for homework. They need to learn the self-reliance of turning the page back and looking at what their teacher taught. If they're not great at taking notes, then they have notes already there for them in the book. So rather than coming to ask you as the parent, how do you solve this problem? And let's be honest, there's a problem with that to begin with, because oftentimes the way we were taught as adults is not how our students are being taught. Then they need to have some sort of mechanism to figure it out on their own. Most of my clients have one or two website resources that really work for them, and they know to refer back there before asking me about it. They can always ask, but I'm going to make sure that they've gone through the steps that they needed to go through to figure it out on their own. This is also an important time to note. Lots of students do not know how to Google keywords. They'll literally type in, how do I solve a system of equations? That doesn't help. It's a lot of extra words that are unnecessary, and it's not going to lead you to what you want. What you want them to Google is system of equations and see what pops up, because there's going to be videos, and there's going to be pages that give this step-by-step. The next thing that I want parents and teachers to be aware of is that math vocabulary exists. It's difficult for me that math seems to be the only subject that does not teach vocabulary. doesn't really make sense because there is a lot of math vocabulary out there. And if we don't highlight these words as important to our students, then they become meaningless words. So one of the things that I like to do with students is have a running list at the front of their math notebook of vocabulary words. So let me give some examples of math vocabulary words. One example is is, is, which translates into equals in math. Another is of, which translates into multiply. Another example is a literal list of all the different shapes. When you're defining math vocabulary, you should use pictures, images, and language. You keep this running list. This is a dream of mine and something I wish teachers would do. Because think about how confusing it would be to know what a radical is, but not know that that means the same thing as square root. And we can't assume this knowledge from our students. I don't remember that. (laughs) The exact same thing. A radical is the symbol and square root is what we're doing with it. But it's the same thing. And so I literally sit there and explain to kids, this means the same thing. So if you hear your teacher say it, it means this. 
and we put that into their running math vocabulary list. This is unfortunately something that I just do. I mean, you could also include formulas. You could also include how-tos for yourself. So if something is difficult for you to remember, then you have a little how-to in this running list at the front of your notebook. Here's one of my biggest tips for math. Use graph paper. Math is the only subject in which I advocate for students having an individual notebook. The supplies and what students should have in school and what they absolutely shouldn't have is something we're going to talk about in a later episode, but this is just a preview of my personal approach. There are often a lot of handouts in math, and so I recommend a graph paper notebook where an inch is four squares, not five squares, with a folder in the front. These notebooks are available. You just have to go look for them. And I bring up this four square inch, not five square inch, because one of the things I tell my students to do, especially when you have a messy math student and they're not organized on the page, is to write one digit in each square. And the squares need to be big enough for a student to be able to see it. Another really simple trick of math is work your way down, meaning you're going to line up the equal sign on the page and right below the equal sign, you will write the next step. And right below that, you will write the next step until you get to the answer. So you're looking at the page and it's very, very vertical. Working out to the side is not how most students think, and it makes it really difficult to see what you're doing. So you want to work down on the page. Similar to writing in one square for the graph paper, you want to skip lines. You want to give your brain space to see what you did in every step. You want to give teachers space to see what you did in each step. And that's a really kind of natural way to organize yourself and not smush everything together. Always rewrite a formula if there is one. You never, ever don't rewrite the formula because then you're relying on your memory and you're very, very likely to make a mistake of like, so for example, if you have, I've been doing a lot of point slope form lately with students. So if you have the point slope form, which I'm going to rattle off for you just as an example, you have y minus y sub 1 equals m times parentheses x minus x sub 1. There are so many variables in that. There's pluses and minuses. There's multiplication. There's equal signs. You cannot rely on your memory for that, and you have to write it down so then you can plug in the information that you know or the information that you're being asked to plug in. We never want to rely on memory because you will make a mistake, and that would classify itself as a caution mistake because you weren't cautious about what you were doing. When you have a student who's very intuitive with math, this can be a struggle, but they are very likely to be the ones making the caution mistakes. So you want to kind of encourage, I call them safety measures or backup plans or insurance. But if you have a young student, they have no idea what insurance is. But that's really what it is. You want to have insurance policies for your math computation. I want to talk about space on the page because this is a huge issue for students. And it's usually the first thing that I'm correcting. 
or helping them to correct. We teach our kids not to waste. We don't waste paper. We don't waste supplies. We don't waste books. And this is a very important lesson that I fully believe in. But it has a very negative effect when it comes to math. Students are doing themselves a disadvantage by trying to fit everything onto one page and into every teeny tiny corner of the page. They're smushing problems together because they don't want to waste paper. It does nothing to help them. Teachers cannot find the answers. And it's messy looking. And they're making a ton of computation mistakes because they literally can't see what they're doing. So if I'm talking about your student, here's what I want you to do with them. Depending on the type of problem that they're working on, first of all, I want you to explain to them that the trees are already dead and that paper is there for us to learn. It's actually wasteful to use paper in this way because you're not learning and you're not showing what you know and you're making a lot of mistakes. So it's actually the antithesis of what we're teaching, but this is how students are interpreting. If your student is doing this, depending on the type of problem and how much space it would reasonably take, take the graph paper and fold it into fourths or fold it into eighths and tell them you're only allowed to put a math problem in each quadrant of the page or in, in each eighth of the page. This immediately remediates the issue of it being too smushed together. They will have a reaction and tell you that you're wasting but you need to talk them through this and explain to them it's actually wasting to use paper and not have anything meaningful to show from it. Folding the page is just a really simple solution. The next thing that I want everybody to know when it comes to math is to let your kids use your fingers. This is a big one. Please let them use their fingers. That's what they're there for. That's why they're there. There's this understanding or belief for some reason that we have to have math facts automated. We don't. Most of us live in a world where we have a phone that's doing our math for us anyway. So let's just talk about that. Now, there is an expectation of knowing certain math facts, but you can teach your kids skip counting. If you don't know what skip counting is, do a Google search or go to my Instagram at cap, K-A-P-P, ed therapy. And there's a bunch of videos of me teaching kids skip counting because that's how you teach kids how to automate math facts when it's not natural for them. Don't drill and kill it. They hate it. You hate it. It doesn't tend to work. So teach skip counting and use your fingers. That's what they're there for. My underlying belief in math is to not do anything in our brain mentally without writing it on paper or having some sort of physical component and using our fingers. Steph, would you agree? Yeah. I often get parents or kids that are embarrassed or think that it's wrong to use their fingers or I've had kids whose teachers only want them to use a number line. And the reality is you don't have a number line when you are doing something in real life and have to do math. But what do you have? You have your fingers. So if you have a child that has learned from a number line and then they're trying to do a real life problem and they say to you, but I need a number line. The reality is you don't have a number line everywhere you go, but you do have your fingers. And so I think it's really, really important to help your child understand that this is a great way to learn math. I want to briefly touch on word problems. Honestly, this will be a full episode at a later date in our math series. 
I love word problems, but if a student struggles with comprehension, this is a real challenge. Students do not think that language or words should be involved in math. This goes back to my math vocabulary, that this is not something that's a part of the math curriculum to teach in a really explicit and formal way. And then it overlaps when it comes to word problems because students think math should be only numbers and no words. But then they ask us, when will I need this? The truth is, word problems are when you need math. All math computation that we're doing in real life inherently are word problems. I have $25. I'm going to the grocery store. How much can I spend? How much change should I have left over? I need to account for tax. Those are all real life math problems that we're doing. But it is incredibly common for students to see a word problem, skip it over entirely because they're intimidated by words because they don't think words should be in math. We are going to be creating a freebie with kind of these tips and tricks and the three C's of math. If you were listening to this podcast on the go, which is how I listen to all my podcasts, all this information will kind of be in one place for you. This is not everything that I do with students. This is really me sitting down and doing a brain dump meaning everything that I could think of in the moment when I was writing this. There's so much more I could go into and I will go into in future episodes, but this is a good place to start. And if you're really struggling on where to start, start with math mindset with your student and changing the language that they're using when they're talking about math. Don't forget to go to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com, to get the freebie with this episode called Rachel's Math Rules to help you remember all the great tips and rules that help math students thrive. And you can always check us out on Instagram at Learn Smarter Podcast or on our individual Instagrams, Cap Ed Therapy, K A P P Ed Therapy, and My Ed Therapist. And be sure to join our Facebook group the Smarties of the Learn Smarter podcast, and you can find that link on our website. And also, if you are interested in booking a strategy session with us, please feel free to reach out. It's on our website also, and we'd be honored to work with you. Have a great day. Bye, guys.